My name is Herb Montgomery, and I'm the director of Renewed Heart Ministries. We are a not-for-profit group that is passionate about rediscovering, following, and helping others rediscover the teachings and sayings of the historical Jesus of Nazareth. We believe that these teachings have an intrinsic value in informing the work of nonviolently confronting, liberating, and transforming our world into a safe, more just, more compassionate home for us all. If you would like to support the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, I'll tell you how you can do so at the end of this podcast. For now, we simply want to thank you for listening. This is Herb Montgomery, and I want to welcome you to episode 171 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. This week's title is The Centurion's Faith in Jesus's Word. Our feature text is Sayings Gospel Q, chapter 7, verses 1, 3, 6 through 9, and 10. And it came to pass, when he ended these sayings, he entered Capernaum. There came to him a centurion, exhorting him and saying, My boy is doing badly. And he said to him, Am I? by coming to heal him. And in reply, the centurion said, Master, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but say a word and let my boy be healed. For I too am a person under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. But Jesus on hearing was amazed and said to those who followed, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such grace. Faith. Our companion texts this week are Matthew 7, 28-29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Matthew 8, 5-10. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but say, just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes, and I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Luke 7, 1 and 3 through 10, When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking to him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them, and he was not far from the house, where the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turned to the crowd following them. He said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent 
returned to the house and found the servant well. Now, to understand this week's portion of, of Sang's Gospel Q, we've got to look ahead in Q and see what this story prepares us for. When, when we read this story, it, it feels out of place because Q is a collection of Jesus's cherished sayings. It's not stories of his healings. In fact, this is the only healing story in Q. So, so, so why this? Why does this narrative include uh, this story among its sayings? And why would the early Jewish community of Jesus followers have included uh, this singular healing story, especially of a centurion or a centurion's servant, rather, or a centurion's boy, regard uh, re- depending upon which which uh, uh, manuscript you're reading? But but the story actually sets up the uh, the very next section of Sang's Gospel Q, and that's that's why it's there. And we're going to be looking at this next week, but this is Q7, 18 through 23. And John, on hearing about all of these things, sending through his disciples, said to him, are you the one to come? Are we to expect someone else? And in reply, he said to them, go report to John what you hear and see. The blind regain their sight, the lame walk around, their skin diseased are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor are given good news. And blessed is whoever is not offended by me. And the early Jesus community saw Jesus as connected to the ancient prophet Isaiah. And this passage draws from from statements in Isaiah's writings, including the section in Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He has sent me to preach glad tidings to the poor, to heal the broken in heart, to proclaim liberty, liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to declare the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of recompense, to comfort all that mourn. Now that's the, the Septuagint version, the the Greek version of Isaiah 61. And this passage sums up, uh, I think, the initial structure of Sang's Gospel Q. First, the, the Spirit anoints Jesus at his baptism. That's Sang's Gospel Q 3, 21 through 22. Then Jesus proclaims good news and blessings on the poor and the broken and the captive. That's Q 6, 20 uh, through 49. And overall, uh, about the first third of Sang's Gospel Q supports the early community's claim that Jesus fulfilled the hopes of Isaiah. In this week's saying, Jesus appears in Isaiah-like fashion as a, a liberating healer, a, a faith healer, if you will, and, and also as, as one who included those who had followed John before Jesus emerged. At this early stage of the Jesus community, Jesus' followers and John's followers would have comprised a partially overlapping constituencies. And, and this saying also represents a, a very Jewish picture of Jesus. A Galilean centurion would have known quite well how a Jew would feel about entering a a Gentile's home. And this tension is part of the centurion's comments in the story. And Jewish sensibilities here are very much respected. And and yet the Gentile servant is still healed. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. For the early Jewish uh, followers of Jesus to to, to have included this story in their record of Jesus's sayings uh, shows 
shows that they embraced the ethic of enemy love. Centurions, most of all, would have been the the, the people that Jewish citizens least expected to, to receive Isaiah's favors. And, and, and the more uh, politically radical of the Jewish community would likely have gone further and even judged centurions as worthy of Yahweh's vengeance or, or punishment. But, but that sentiment also could have been quite popular among the less radical too. But uh, well, this explains a little bit of what we see happening in Luke. Let's talk about Luke's softening of the story for a moment. Luke seems to, to soften the tension between Jews and Gentiles. And notice that Luke's story differs uh, quite significantly from Matthew's in, in that the centurion sends a delegation of, of, of the Jews to Jesus rather than coming himself and even explains why he doesn't come himself. So, so next, Luke's narrative emphasizes that this is not a, a normal centurion either. He, he's different and he's worthy uh, of an exception, so to speak, and not, not to be looked at in the same way as most centurions would have been. It says, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. In Matthew and Sang's Gospel Q, on the other hand, the, the centurion describes himself as very much unworthy. And uh, perhaps Luke's version was quite a bit less jarring to those who, who maybe their loved ones had been crucified or executed or arrested by soldiers and centurions. But, but Sang's Gospel Q's version is much harder to swallow. It, it demonstrates Jesus' ethic of compassion and even compassion for one's enemy. And this material prepares prepares the audience of Sayings Gospel Q, remember, to embrace uh, the Jesus community's teaching that Jesus is the one to come. Uh, yet this last section, uh, this this healing of this, or this compassion toward a centurion, uh, would have uh, ran the risk of being quite offensive and, and possibly polarizing and, and stirring up uh, some pushback. But it's worth mentioning that Luke's version of this story does parallel Luke's story in Acts 10 also, where Peter is invited to go and visit another centurion. Let's talk about Matthew for a moment. Matthew, uh, uh, scholars believe that Matthew was written before Luke, and, and it reflects a, a Jewish Galilean populace rather than a Jerusalem community that, that, that was addressed in, in Luke. And John Shelby Spung, in his book, uh, Reclaiming the Bible for a Non-Religious World, reminds us that Matthew is the most Jewish of the canonical Gospels. He, he writes on page uh, 329 through 330, within about a decade, Matthew wrote the first expansion of Mark and aimed his story at the disciples of Jesus who worshipped in rather traditional Jewish synagogues. Recall once again that the split between the church and the synagogue would not occur until near the end of the ninth decade. So when Mark and Matthew were written, they and their readers were still in traditional synagogues. The interchange between John's disciples and, and Jesus, which we'll again cover in detail next week, it calls listeners to embrace Jesus's ministry as the, the one expected in the scroll of Isaiah. And, and Matthew's call expands Q. And remember, this section isn't found in Mark. But, but if Matthew is going to use the, the Q story about John's disciples, then he also has to build up to it just like the Q community did. Uh, 
Uh, and unlike the Q community, uh, Matthew, however, he, he chooses not just to use the centurion story, but also to substantiate the claim with, with more healing stories. Matthew adds the story of Jesus healing a leper uh, between the Sermon on the Mount and, and, and this centurion's boy to, to, to reinforce uh, Jesus as a healing liberator. And we're going to we're going to talk as we get into this next week, we're going to talk about the difference between the types of liberation that uh, uh, were expected in that day and, and how the Q community saw Jesus as a healing liberator. Yet in, in true Matthean fashion, Jesus is more than simply a healer. He, he's even the healer of enemies. And the text uh, still emphasizes the unworthiness of this Gentile and, and, and Roman uh, because enemy love was central to the teachings found in Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. Matthew incorporates the centurion story to, to illustrate this teaching and to, to characterize before Matthew's audience just what type of liberation Jesus was announcing. He wasn't simply announcing the, the overthrowing of Roman hegemony and, 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 and a Jewish one now being put in its place, but, but it was a, a restoration of the humanity of both oppressed and oppressors. A favorite passage of mine in uh, Paolo Ferrer's book, uh, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, illustrates what, what I uh, uh, think is the reason for Q's and Matthew's inclusion of the centurion story. And this is from page 44. In order for this struggle to have meaning, the oppressed must not, in seeking to regain their humanity, which is a way to create it, become oppressors of the oppressors, but rather restorers of the humanity of both. So the question for us this week is, who are our centurions today? And that's the million-dollar question. Jesus offered uh, neither a way of assimilating into Roman oppression nor a path that that led to to, to being destroyed by the Romans. He, he, his path was um, uh, nonviolent resistance and, and the challenging ethic of genuine enemy love. And this doesn't seek vengeance against one's enemies. It seeks the transformation of that enemy through imagination and, and whichever situations arise, this love seeks to, to meet our enemies on terms of a shared humanity. Take away the system of domination and we are all very much the same and more. We're also connected. You and I both are part of this interwoven family called humanity. And Barbara Deming, who is a lesbian, a poet, an American feminist, and an advocate of of nonviolent social change, she writes in her book, Revolution and Equilibrium, and this is a fantastic statement. With one hand, we say to the one who is angry or to an oppressor or to an unjust system. Stop what you are doing. I refuse to honor the role you are choosing to play. I refuse to obey you. I refuse to cooperate with your demands. I refuse to build the walls and the bombs. I refuse to pay for the guns. With this hand, I will even interfere with the wrong you are doing. I want to disrupt the easy pattern of your life. But then the advocate of nonviolence raises the other hand. It is raised outstretched, maybe with love, sympathy, maybe not, but always outstretched. With this hand, we say, I won't let go of you or cast you out of the human race. I have faith that you can make a better choice than you are making now, and I'll be here when you are ready. Like it or not, we are part of one another. 
active nonviolence is a process that holds these two realities of non-cooperation with violence, but open to the humanity of the violator in tension. It is like saying to our opponent, on the one hand, symbolized by the hand firmly stretched out and signaling stop, I will not cooperate with your violence or injustice. I will resist it and with every fiber of my being. And on the other hand, symbolized by the hand with its palm turned open and stretched toward the other, I am open to you as a human being. That's from page 16. As our enemies uh, have lost sight of our humanity, we We must fight for our own sake to not lose sight of theirs. The Jesus who healed the centurion's servant showed us the way to do that. Heart group application this week. Take some time to to contemplate who the centurions in your life are and and those who, who might fit this role for you. And what does enemy love look like for you with this person? And enemy love can take a, a myriad of forms. How could Deming's firsthand uh, change the way you relate to them? And, and what about that secondhand approach as as well? And discuss with your, your, your heart group uh, what you discover. To each of you who, who face the challenge of affirming your own humanity while simultaneously refusing to dehumanize those who do so toward you, keep fighting. The, 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 the path is is not easy, and, and, and maybe this is why it's referred to as, as narrow, but refuse to become like those who subjugate you. Call, call them to recognize you, and, and instead of becoming like them, call them to become more like you. As Friedrich Nietzsche is, is famous for quoting, he, and I'll interject, or she, who fights with monsters, should, not, should look to it that he himself or she herself does not become a monster. Thank you again for, for being alongside us on this journey. Uh, I love each one of you dearly. Keep living in love till the only world that remains is a world where only love reigns. I'll see you next week. Once again, for listening, everything we do here at Renewed Heart Ministries, even our, our many educational events that we do in various venues, is for free. If you'd like to support our work, you can make a one-time gift or become one of our monthly contributors by going to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and clicking on the Donate tab on the top right. Or you can mail your contribution to Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. And make sure you also sign up for our free resources. And remember, every little bit helps. And and as always, anything that we receive over and above our annual budget, we happily give away to other not-for-profits who are are making both systemic and personal differences and significant differences in the lives of those who are not presently benefited by the status quo. And to those of you who are already supporting the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, thank you so much. Your generous support makes it possible for us to exist and to continue being a presence for positive change in our world. So with all of our hearts, thank you. Together, we are making a difference till the only world that remains is a world where only love reigns.